Nathan. So we're back on sound. So I'm going to be, I'm going to pray and be really vague in the prayer. Lord, you know exactly what's been said, what's going on with this brother that Nathan talked about in that part of the world. We, we pray earnestly, Lord, that, that you would uh, day by day empower him, use him, protect him, and along with him, uh, other, others who are Christ followers in a dangerous uh, part of the world. Lord, would you move us in any way you desire to, well, pray, but also to participate by, by a gift uh, for this uh, important ministry. And uh, we pray this all. And now we do ask, Lord, as we look into your word, that we would realize that, Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, you're, you're here. Uh, you, are, you are more real than the person sitting next to us even if we can't see you. And would it be not so much us hearing what I have to say, but what you want to say, whether it be through me or in spite of me, just would you speak, Lord? Uh, meet us right where we are um, and take us on from there. And uh, bless the kids as they head off to their session. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, let the kids take off. Bless you, kids. Hey, I do hope that you'll seriously consider participating in this mission that uh, Nathan was talking about. Um, the, the needs are great. Yes, the risks are high, but this is what Christ followers do. They, if they're, obedient to, they're obedient to the call. They take a risk. It was five years ago that, that Darlene and I, um, well, a dear friend by the same name, incidentally, uh, was murdered by terrorists on that same border in that same country. It was just heartbreaking. But um, uh, as, as the great uh, Christian back in the second century said to Tertullian, uh, the, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. Um, God, God uses these people even when it seems insane. And, and so it's, a, it's just a privilege that we could, in some small way, uh, participate. Hey, one more thing uh, closer to home. Uh, less risky, to be sure. Uh, Thursday, we have Grace's Grocery, kind of an extra effort being made as we move into the next two months of holidays. I, I haven't helped thus far. It's about time I step up. <laughs> so I'm planning on being there, and I don't know what I'm doing, but if, if a guy like me who has no skills can help out, then you all can. And, I mean, just to be there and check it out, just to see what, what's happening and and uh, see how maybe God would uh, lead from there as we interact. You know, it's not, not just doing a handout, but it's, it's, hand, it's um, uh, interacting uh, with uh, people who may become friends, uh, may take steps toward Jesus because of what you might do. So just show up. Is that okay, Rachel, if they just show up? Right, we'll, you'll find a place for them. And if, if there if too many of us, that's fine. We'll just have a party together, okay? So that's Thursday, or during the day to set up, or at night. Okay. So in God's word, Second uh, Samuel eleven. Oh, and by hey, thanks, Matt, for stepping. Um, and, we, and we do pray that, that Chris and Tiffany have their health restored. They got hit by a stomach bug, but. Almost at the last minute, uh, Matt and the team stepped up, and, and, and thanks for also giving us God's word as well as leading us into worship. But a little more on God's word. Second Samuel 11 and 12. 
as we continue this series about David, and you can check out a few notes on your, on your worship guide. Um, you know how God's word, uh, as they say, comforts the disturbed? And disturbs the comfortable. If you're looking for pure comfort, then you may need, want to go help with the children. <laughs> or you just remember that thing you had, you know, that you got to get to right away. But this, this is just part of God's word that's not comfortable. Although I'll just say that everything God's word ultimately lands in good news. So we'll get there. Just hang on, all right? Uh, but 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is where we're going to jump into the famous David's story. Uh, it was 96 years ago that uh, the great British journalist and politician, actually, G.K. Chesterton, maybe you've heard of him, he had a huge influence on the great man C.S. Lewis, but he said this, there comes an hour in the afternoon when the child is tired of pretending, when he is weary of being a robber or a cowboy, it's then that he torments the cat. <laughs> Personally, I believe that any cat deserves that any given day, but that's a different story. Today, we're going to look at David in the, to use this terminology of Chesterton, we're going to look at David in the afternoon of his life. Kind of the afternoon of his life. He's middle-aged. He's in his prime. He's very settled. We're skipping over a little bit in his story. We'll get back to some of that, God willing. But he's settled and maybe a little too settled at this point. Um, we saw last week how before he got settled, he was kind of drifting a little bit. Well, this is after he gets settled and the drift gets even worse. Uh, from at least a superficial human point of view, David has it all. He's won all these battles. He's gone through all these kinds of struggles. Um, he's passed running for his life from King Saul. And, and now he's king. He's the king of all 12 tribes of Israel. But the thrill of building the kingdom has given way to a kind of boredom of maintaining it. It's just not as exciting. And so look at uh, 2 Samuel 11. Um, it says this, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, that's, it's kind of a funny thing. Every spring we go out to war. It sounds like hunting season or something, right? Uh, but see, David's lost in, in that part of the world is extraordinarily embattled. Uh, still is in a lot of ways. But anyway, he's lost his enthusiasm, and he thinks, I think I'll take this spring off. Uh, well, it's okay to take breaks. That's okay. It's even necessary. But maybe this is a sign of some kind of aimlessness that settled in. Um, it turns out that he, he can't sleep, as we're going to see. Um, well, it's common for anybody. But maybe it's a sign of restlessness. So now watch what happens in verse 2. <clears throat> One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the, the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. 
she came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. You know, at midlife, and that's kind of where David is, it is common to find ourselves in a kind of drift. Um, you get sort of stagnant. You're a little bit weary from the past, but you're in a fog about the future. And I want to say that it's not just in midlife. It can happen at any stage of life. We all have those afternoons when we're tired of this or that, and that's when we torment the cat or whatever. We make bad choices. Well, what happens to David? Well, he gives in to this momentary uh, pleasure. He violates God's best for himself, for his family, for Bathsheba, for her family. And the result is just a sad, sad, vicious cycle of bad choices that lead to more bad choices that lead to all kinds of hurt. Uh, perhaps you know the rest of the story. I'll just kind of summarize it here. <clears throat> um, when Bathsheba says that she's pregnant, uh, David sends for her husband, Uriah, who's off with the army. He comes, and David says, hey, man, you deserve a break. Why don't you just hang out with your wife? Of course, hoping that, you know, they'd, um, they'd uh, go to bed and that it'd be obvious that the baby was Uriah's. But Uriah's, here's the problem. He's too loyal. He's too loyal as a, as a good soldier, and he says, how can, I, how can I go to my home when all my fellow troops are in battle? So he slept in the bunkhouse. Well, David takes it a step further. He does his very best to get Uriah, Uriah drunk, thinking, well, then maybe he'll finally go home. But no, he still, he still sleeps in the bunkhouse and not with his wife. Well, now the deception slides, as it often does, into desperate destruction. He tells his general, Joab, um, take your troops off to the front line, including Uriah. And when the battle gets the fiercest, have everybody else pull back except Uriah. And then he'll get killed. And that's what happens. And then David has the gall to say to a, a, a saddened general, Joab, Hey, don't worry about it. You know, that's what happens in war. People get killed. Um, well, then after a bit of a wait, David marries Bathsheba, and everything seems fine. Except God is too loving to let <clears throat> a lie just lie. So go to chapter 12 now. The Lord sent Nathan, uh, not Burdick, by the way, but the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to, <laughs> to David. Although Burdick, he, he's not unlike this guy. Anyway, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said there were, he tells a story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him. And his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe land that belonged to the poor man 
and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. I want to hold up um, four kind of stages in this drift that leads to disaster. Uh, number one, and, and by the way, um, okay, you're thinking about a case of adultery and murder, and you say, boy, am I ever glad I never did either of those. Well, let me just say, you're the man, I'm the man, we're all the man, you're the woman. Okay, just take this for yourself, right? And, and, by, and by the way, don't sit here and think, I sure hope Oswald's listening to this, you know, or whoever. Just let the Lord speak to you, okay? But this kind of drift, it, it usually starts really small. It starts pretty small. So you, you see David here, and um, he's, he's, he sees a pretty woman. Uh, but then he makes choices. I think I'd like to chat with her. And he inquires, like, who is she? And he's kind of wondering, is her husband around, you know? And so it goes on from there. Um, I don't know if any of you ever used to listen to Garrison Keillor on uh, Prairie Home Companion, but he tells stories of mythical Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, and Father Emil, Emil, is the priest at Our Lady of Perpetual Responsibility Catholic Church. And uh, in the storytelling, he says that um, the priest has an annual sermon on premarital sex entitled, If You Didn't Want to Go to Minneapolis, Why'd You Get on the Train? You get it? A, a couple of you did. I just, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. That was, the, 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 the point is, you, you do this just forgetting the logic that it's going somewhere. Well, why'd you get aboard when something out deep tells you that it's going to take you a destination that's not what you exactly had in mind? You know, I've, over the years as a pastor, I've, I've had, um, um, well, more than a few friends who fell into affairs, much like David did. Every single one of them, every single one of them, I'm talking about, I don't know, nine, ten of them maybe over the 40 years I've been a pastor, every single one said, I never, ever dreamed that this would happen to me. Um, it almost always starts small in very subtle ways. Here's, here's the second stage of a drift into disaster, and that's that we have an instinct not to admit what's going wrong here, and we make an effort to cover it up. That's as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. It happens all the time, a self-justification. And you see it in David's clumsy effort to deceive, and then that awful decision to kill Uriah. And the most ridiculous mask that David's wearing is his indignation over over the, the guy that supposedly, the rich guy that supposedly stole the, sheep, the, the little lamb of the poor guy. And um, it's just this self-righteousness 
that rises up, which is a kind of way that if I act really angry about someone else's sin, it'll kind of cover up the fact that I'm a sinner too. It's kind of instinctive. Uh, here's the third stage, and in one word, it's pain. It's pain. You cut yourself off from God and his best, and you're cutting yourself off from good. Sooner or later, one way or another, you're, you're, and you're going to fall into pain. Uh, and here's the deal. When we separate ourselves from God, it, it hurts us, but as much, it hurts others. Sometimes even more. And, and uh, we're going to see that David, he's totally forgiven, but he still, he still reaps what he's, he had sown. still happens. There's still consequences, even if you're totally forgiven, and even if there's redemption. And, and one terrible result is not only does Uriah innocently die, but this baby dies too. Now, now you can protest till you're blue in the face. Why in the world did the baby have to die? I don't know. There's so much we don't understand as to exactly what God does, but I'll tell you one thing for sure. We make choices that disregard God. It's always going to have a negative impact on us and other people. It just will. And, and not so much because God says, bam, I didn't like that. I'm going to get you. It's just the natural consequences. You cut your elf, yourself off from the giver of all good, and you're going to lose some good. It's about that simple. I, I mentioned these friends who've drifted into a, a, adultery, uh, being unfaithful in their marriage. Um, every single one, as they confided with me, said, I just never dreamed it was going to be so painful to myself, my wife, my kids, and <laughs> on it goes from there. One more stage. David does get pulled into God's restoring grace. He gets pulled out of this drift into disaster. But here's the deal. It happens only when he faces the truth, when he stops the deception, when he confesses his sin. He does reap what he has sown. But he then receives what he doesn't deserve. And that's God's loving, forgiving, restoring grace. None of us deserve that. But he freely, freely gives that. You know, again, those friends I talked about, not in every single case, but in the majority of them, there was gut-level, honest confession, turning back to God, to their wives. And in most cases, the marriages slowly, slowly saw healing. And I can think of examples right now where those marriages are stronger than they were before doesn't justify what the guy did, but that's God's redemption. That's his healing, when there's just honesty about it. Now, I, I told you this is not a feel-good kind of message, right? Um, but I, I, I hope we could hear anything that God might be saying to us, you know, shining some light on our lives. And, and I tell you, again, the spotlight, it's, he doesn't show it so that we can look at others. It's for ourselves um, 
because we're the man, as the prophet Nathan said. And, and so at whatever level, at whatever level, uh, the Holy Spirit might bring some level of conviction. Let me just raise a few questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. One is, are, do we see any vulnerabilities in our lives to those, that slippery slope of ignoring God and so hurting others and ourselves? Um, and what are some conditions and situations we're putting ourselves into uh, that uh, just put more negative pressure than, than we have to have? I, I mean, a good example is the internet, right? Just, just in all kinds of ways. Just falsehood and, and uh, seductive stuff, you know? And I'm saying don't use the internet, but there's just so much. There's stuff you always say, yeah, just stay away from it, you know? It's not worth it. Um, and let me say this, that many vulnerabilities to these bad, bad choices lie not in our weaknesses, but actually in our strengths. The vulnerability lies in our strengths because it's the pride of self-sufficiency. Like those friends of mine, I'll go back to them, they said, I was the guy, and they all said a version of this, I used to tell myself when I saw some other guy fall into adultery, I'll never do that. Whoa, that's dangerous right there. When you say, I'm not vulnerable. It could never, ever happen to me. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, unguarded strength is double weakness. Unguarded strength is double weakness. Uh, prides and self-sufficiency is a huge big door with a sign on it that says, enemy welcome here. So here's a second question. Where do we have some deceptions? Uh, just usually self-deception, deliberate cover-ups, game-playing, where what we, the impression we give is not what actually is. Um, you know, especially in our closest relationship, um, Darlene and I have been married a long time, and we've often I've talked about this, how secrets are dangerous, even on kind of small little things. Secrets are dangerous. It, it's just breeding ground you know, for a separation in the relationship, and, and then for some of these destructive choices. And so it's just important to be, um, just walk in the light, as Scripture says. You know, and David, um, he, he later put this, all, all this into a prayer, a couple prayers, but one of them is Psalm 932. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, didn't cover up my iniquity, and I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then uh, here's a third question. Who are my Nathans? Again, not Burdick. I mean, we're glad we have him, but I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Who, who are the people? And he might be one in our lives, but uh, wh where am I just allowing myself to, to be exposed to the, the light of God's holy love? Uh, it's usually a combination of God's word, spirit, and people. It's usually a combination of, of those, God's word and spirit in people. Now, if you, if you forget God's word and spirit and just rely on your friends, the best you'll get is some human wisdom, which might be pretty good, but could, could be pretty off. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you say, I don't need people, I don't need fellowship for this, it's just me and God, his word, and spirit. Well, here's the problem with that. 
we, you, you look at the Bible, we, we, we often kind of see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. And we also need the body of Christ to, to see, interpret, and show us things in the Word, hear things from the Spirit that maybe we're too blind to catch uh, on our own. And uh, so we're in this, all this together. I'm not, I'm not saying that the Grace Covenant should be kind of a, a finger-pointing sin detector fellowship, uh, but could, could we, I think we are, Grace Covenant, could we just be a place where, where we get the masks off? Will we just stop kind of playing any games and just be our true selves before God and each other and you know, kind of take the plugs out of our ears and let God give the hard word if he has to? Um, I, that's what I've seen at Grace. Just may it continue and grow. But then finally, and it is the final good word, are we giving the final word to God's forgiving, restoring grace for ourselves and for others? Uh, remember G.K. Chesterton, you know, the, the guy with the little boy, tired of pretending, kicking the cat, tormenting the cat? Well, here's how he goes on. He goes on to say, right in the middle of all these things, he's talking about civilization's basic boredom uh, in, in a deep, destructive way. He says, right in the middle of all these things stands up an enormous exception. It's quite unlike anything else. It's a thing final, like the trumpet of doom, though it's also a piece of good news, or news that seems too good to be true. It's nothing less than the loud assertion that this mysterious maker of the world has visited his world in person. See, he's come. God has come as one of us, to forgive, to restore everyone, anyone, for you and for me. And I tell you what, any, any light that, that shines in the final, ultimate word of God, it's not coming from a, a list of rules and punishments, if you break the rules. It's, it, it's, it's coming from the cross. The final word is coming from the crucified and risen Jesus. The final words coming from the cross where, where just in excruciating pain, Jesus looked down on the people who nailed him up there, but also through all of history, looking at all of us and saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Here's the good news. While the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is nothing less than eternal life through this Jesus. There's nothing that God through his Son can't forgive. There's no failure outside his willingness to restore. I'm going to put up on the screen... um, the prayer of David that came in that confrontation um, from the prophet through the prophet Nathan uh, dealing with his, um, his adultery and his murder. And I'm going to invite you to uh, at least read it silently, but, uh, well, actually, why don't you read it 
just silently. And if you say, yes, I can honestly pray that, then it could help to pray it out loud. Uh, but just take, take a moment and uh, read this prayer. I'm going to pray this out loud. Feel free to join me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then let me give you this good news through the Apostle John. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Lord, pray that by your spirit, these would be more than words on a page or on a screen, but the good news of forgiveness would, would bring to light where we need it, and then bring to light how you want to forgive, uh, bring us into a turning to you in faith uh, for the sake of the life that is truly life. Lord, if any of us today need to just pause and not even leave this place till we've uh, just kind of sat with you or maybe had someone pray with us, uh, please, Lord, uh, Give us the willingness uh, to do just that. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us the forgiving and life-giving grace that we don't deserve, but you so freely, freely give through Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Spirit. In that name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we close with the song we have one more song right so um the ushers will come to receive any gifts you have for shared ministries you could also put in the uh, connection card as well as the uh, directory update information and let this be yet more response to this great and good god let's close with uh the second verse of It Is Well, My Soul. We're going to take it real easy on the instruments here, so let your, uh, let your voices be the instruments. <laughs> I sin, know the bliss of this glorious thought. My 
Well, it is well. 